Matthew chapter 15 and turn to Revelation chapter 21. Matthew 15 and Revelation chapter 21. Lord willing, next week we uh, have a new series that is going to be starting from the book of Daniel. Uh, Al Weber, um, one of our newest members, is going to be leading that. And I encourage you to come. Uh, We're going to look at history and uh, we're going to see what God's word has to say to us from the book of Daniel. Okay, if somebody would like to read Revelation chapter 21 verse 27 for us. Revelation 21 verse 27. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Okay. And then let's go back to Matthew chapter 15. And if somebody would like to read verse 17 and 18, and then somebody else read 19 and 20. Matthew 15. 17 and 18, and then 19 and 20. <clears throat> and you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled. For what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. And if somebody could read verse 19 and verse 20. <clears throat> Okay, so as we have been going through the attributes of God, one of the things that always stands out to me when we are studying God is how holy he actually is. We have become a, we have become a people too often that, and I'm talking just generally as Christians, we have become a people that have failed to remember, number one, that God is holy and that we can't keep our eyes on the world. We are going to be looking at that further in the lesson or in the morning message from First Peter chapter 2. But both John and the Lord Jesus Christ, as Matthew writes here, is speaking and he is talking about that which defiles a person. And as I was considering it the last week, how would I wrap up this series for now until a future time Uh, when we continue with the rest of the attributes of God. And I thought that this would be appropriate for us to be able to consider as far as what God expects from us. Now, we have mentioned this before, but we as individuals like to compare ourselves to others. And it doesn't matter whether we are we are we are in a uh, like a a race or uh, the kids on the playground uh, you know, you say if, if, you're, if your child doesn't cross the race line first or the finish line first, uh, what is the comment that they might say? If you say, well, you did a good job, they might say, but I didn't come first. And we do that in just about every aspect of our life. There's a reason why we are not the one maybe that won the promotion uh, at work because somebody else got the promotion. Somebody else was better than us. And the HR department is responsible to do what? To compare one against another. To determine who has the best qualities, who has the best characteristics, who has the best talents or abilities to be able to make the determination for who or what is best for the workplace or for that particular position. And we're not really any different when it comes to our Christian lives in that we tend to compare ourselves with others. We will find, for example, that uh, somebody may say, if we have, uh, uh, some of you may know these names, but there are great men and women because of who God is that have down through the years uh, have been 
very great at what they do. For example, there's a man by the name of John Hyde, or Pray and Hyde as he was called, and Pray and Hyde was known for his ability to be able to pray. It is said that he spent so much time on his knees that his knees actually look like the knees of a camel. So we can compare ourselves to John and we can say, well, my knees don't look like that. Therefore, I'm not praying like I should. I'll never be able to reach that level. So therefore, I just won't do it. We can say that somebody is a good Bible teacher or a good minister. And for, and for example, and, and, and every minister probably does it at some point in his life. But you can, you can look at your life as compared to, say, somebody like John MacArthur or R.C. Sproul or, or others who are out there. I'll never be able to attain unto that kind of level. But ultimately, is that the true comparison? Is me against somebody like John MacArthur? No. Because John MacArthur is not the pastor here. I'm the pastor here. God has called me simply to be faithful with the people that he has placed in front of me each and every week. And in our lives, when it comes to sin, we also do the exact same thing. It's not just about ministry purposes, but it's about sin. Where do we stand? Again, Matthew chapter 15. And Jesus says to, 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 to the disciples, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And that is what defiles a person. If you give somebody an opportunity long enough what is in their heart will come out. It'll either come out through their words, it'll come out through their actions, um, or the way that they respond to other people. It will never fail, especially if your life is not being filled with the Holy Spirit. Somebody look up for me Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. Ephesians 5, verse 17. You got that, Doug? Yes, I do. Okay, go ahead. Yep. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay, I think I gave you the wrong one. Hold on. Yeah, hold on. I, I think I gave you the wrong. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Sorry, read verse 18. Okay, go ahead and read the next one as well. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay. What do you think it means to be filled with the Spirit? Does it mean that we can live our lives any way we want to? No. Okay. So if we are being filled, now is this, it, this is something that is obviously subsequent to salvation. Okay, we're not talking about actually having the Holy Spirit residing within you. We're talking about being filled repeatedly or an action that is repeated whereby we are filled to overflowing with what the Holy Spirit desires from us. For example, what does it say in the first part of that verse? Ephesians 5.18, what does it say at the first part? Do not be... Drunk with, drunk with wine wherein is excess okay the issue is not whether wine is the problem the issue is being overcome with the wine to the point where you are controlled by that wine this is what paul is talking about in ephesians he is not this is not i believe there are other verses that we can use and go to but here in ephesians chapter 5 this is not a prohibition against alcoholic drinks Ephesians 5 is to remind us that just as a person who is a drunkard is controlled by their wine, so too we are to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. For example, you've all seen movies, uh, maybe your past life, whatever it may be, but what does wine, too much alcohol, do to a person? Okay, it destroys them. No, no, no. If a person is drunk, what, what characteristics might they exhibit? I'm sorry? It removes their inhibitions. Okay, removes their inhibitions. Nine feet tall and bulletproof. And nine feet tall and bulletproof. Okay, what else? Controls them. Controls them? Loud mouth. Foolishness. Foolishness. Foolishness, yes. Yep. So if a person is that controlled by the alcohol, what does Proverbs say in regards to strong drink? A person lays down or they drink strong drink, they wake up and they don't know what? 
They don't know how they got there. They don't know what happened. Uh, th- they say that, that, that a person has been beaten up. Uh, Solomon says that a person has been beaten up and they don't know it. They don't feel the blows. And so when we come to the New Testament, we find that we are to be controlled in such a way. For example, who mentioned inhibitions? Was that you, Samuel? So Samuel mentioned that there's no inhibitions. If we believe that the Holy Spirit of God who dwells within us is greater than he that is in the world, what kind of inhibitions will we lose if we are controlled by the Spirit? Right, but specific, but specifically, if if we lose our, if the Holy Spirit is dwelling within us, number one, and we are being filled to overflowing by the Holy Spirit, what kind of inhibitions in regards to spiritual walk might we be willing to lose? No, 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 I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just in the spiritual realm. For example, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20 gives us what? The Great Commission. So if we're truly being filled to the point where we lose our inhibitions, what could be an inhibition? Being willing to share the gospel message. And, and we might be afraid of what somebody else may think. There are a lot of times that as a, as a pastor, as a, as a minister, as a Bible teacher, you can stand up and you can be afraid of the faces of those who are there because you're not sure how are they going to take what I'm going to say, etc. And instead we need to lose those inhibitions if we're filled by the Holy Spirit of God to the point where we simply tell people the truth. And it's not easy. Uh, we, we have talked, for example, and, and that piece of paper that you've got there, I'm going to have you use that here in just a moment. Or I'm going to have you write something down at the top on that. I want to make sure everybody's got one. But in our lives, the question that we have to ask ourselves is, am I being controlled by the Holy Spirit of God or am I being controlled by the world? What is actually controlling me? Now, if you have two little kids, you can think back about your kids or your grandkids or whatever it may be, and you can have, they can have a toy that they haven't touched in like forever, and a brother or sister comes in and picks up that toy, what does that first kid want? That toy. That toy. I want that toy. I want that toy. Absolutely. And they're going to scream and they're going to do whatever it takes. They're going to, but I had it at first. No, you didn't have it first. It's been said. What's that? That's mine. That's mine. What do we call that? Ah, there we go. Boy, right to the, right to the correct word. Selfishness. Now let's tie all of this together. Selfishness is what brings us to where we are at today. I'm talking about generally speaking as a people of the Most High God is a church at Yellowstone Baptist Church. You as individuals in your lives, there are going to be things that you are going to struggle with. And here recently we looked at the verse from Ephesians that talked about putting off and putting on, putting off the old man, putting on the new. What would something like that look like? How do we put off the old man and put on the new? If we did something before we got saved, what do we replace it with so that people can see Jesus Christ living in us? Is that where the lying comes in? Okay, so let, let's, let's take that one as an example. Right. So if we're, if we're doing the put off and put on... Put off, over here, put on. So over here on this side, we put off lying. So if a person is a habitual liar before they get saved, what happens if that person is still a habitual liar supposedly after having made a profession of faith? It's not real. It's not real. So how do we see, how do we know this put off, put on principle? How do we know that God is doing a work in that person's heart? If they're putting off lying, what should we expect from that person who habitually lies? True, right? 
I've never seen the movie. I've just heard about it. But one that supposedly had Jim Carrey in it where he, everything he said, he couldn't tell a lie. He, liar, liar. I've, I've never seen the movie, but I've, like I said, I've heard about it. But I understand that in the premise of the movie, basically he gets himself in all kind of trouble because he can only tell the truth. Something brings him to that point. I don't know if it's magic potion or whatever it may be. But he always has to tell the truth. How much more should we as true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ be telling the truth? I mean, that should be if our God who is in heaven is holy and he is the giver of all truth and he is truth himself, then how should that reflect with us? Truth, right? Truth in the inward parts. We should not have a desire to lie to somebody or to or or to to act or speak in a way that does not point to the truth that is found in Jesus Christ. For example, how many of you, if you were a manager at work and you hired somebody and you said, now I want you to promise me that you're going to be here every morning at nine o'clock. You have to be here exactly. You have to be here at least five minutes early. And the very first day they show up at work and they're 10 minutes late. And then the second day, they're 10 minutes late. The third day, they're 10 minutes late. The fourth day, they're 10 minutes late. And on Friday, they're 15 minutes late. But every morning, they keep telling you, yes, I'm going to be there five minutes early. Are they telling the truth or are they telling a lie? They're telling a lie. It reminds me of the story of the four uh, students who are in high school. And they go in and they all tell the teacher why they were late. They say, well, we all got a, we got a flat tire on the car. And so she puts them all in separate rooms and she says, there's one question on this test. Which tire? Oh. Guess what's going to happen? Oh, yeah. We're going to have four different answers. Probably going to have four different answers. I mean, there's a 25% chance, right, that they're going to get every, or they're going to get it right. But the chance that four of them are all going to get the exact same tire isn't going to happen. And so they're caught in their lies. Uh, here's another one with with our children our children do something you walk in they've taken a cookie out of the cookie jar the evidence is smeared from one side of their face to the other side of their face they've got chocolate chips encrusted in their hands and probably underneath their nails and you say who got into the cookie jar and the kid says not me or the dog why because we're afraid of the consequences. We're not more afraid of losing the relationship that we have with our parents. And when a child is two or three or four or five years old, even when they're eight or nine years old, the biggest concern is the punishment. It's not the concern about the relationship. And the more that we grow in the Lord Jesus Christ, we should be more concerned about getting rid of this because we're afraid that it's going to destroy the relationship we have with our Father. So here's what I want you to do with that piece of paper. There's not going to be a test on this. This is something between you and God. This is just a recommendation. I'm not going to ask you if you have done the list. okay? But at the top, I want you to write this. Fifty to seventy-five, and then underneath that, you're going to write ways I am selfish. Oh. Yeah. Well, I don't want you to fill it out right now. But this is just a reminder. I have used this multiple times in counseling down through the years. It's not original with me. And I have shared with individuals as I heard the illustration. You see, you can write down ways that I'm selfish and you might get through the first 10 or 12 ways pretty easily. The next dozen or two are going to be very, very difficult. 
And by the time you get to 50 to 75 ways, I think what it's going to, or the, the purpose of this is to get you to see where your relationship is, not just with those who are around you, but more importantly with God. So let's talk about this for example, or as a few examples. You say 50 to 75 ways. I don't think I'm that selfish. So let's talk about it. Number one, if the first person you start with, and I would not recommend starting with God because that one is going to be a little more difficult. But start with the people who are in your home. How are you selfish with them? For example, one of my pet peeves, and some of you know this, but one of my pet peeves is going into the bathroom and finding two squares left on the toilet roll. Somebody was in there before me. Somebody knew that they were coming to the end of the roll and left two squares so that you could go into the bathroom and have nice devotional thoughts about whoever left two squares on the toilet roll. Uh, that is true because I've also been in there and there have been no squares on the toilet roll. Let's be real honest. Isn't that selfish on the person who left just the two squares? Okay. So even in the bathroom facilities in our home, we can act in a way that is selfish and that does not point to Jesus Christ. So if we talk about in the bathroom, how are we selfish? Do we sit in there on our phones? When somebody else has to go in there? Is three squares not selfish? Three, uh, there better be more than three squares on that roll when I go in. Or at least remembering that there should be. Yes? Taking a very long shower when you know that the person that owns the house doesn't like that. Or on a Sunday morning when there's four of you that have to get in the shower and one person gets in there early and takes a 45-minute shower. And runs the hot water heater out. And runs the hot water heater out. So you get in there and you can't get any hot water and you know you still have to take a shower and you're dancing around singing in tongues. <laughs> Those are things that are selfishness. But we don't really think about it because what's on our mind when we get up in the morning, who are we going to take care of? Ourselves. But God says that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind and love our neighbor as ourself. Who's our closest neighbor? Our family, the people that live in the house with us. Uh, what, about, what about this one? The kitchen. Now, my girls aren't in here, so I can't talk about Abigail. I mean... <laughs> but going in and getting juice. Abigail loves juice. She loves orange juice, pineapple juice, lemon juice. It doesn't matter what it is. And I'm telling you what, every single week, Abigail goes in and she will pour herself a glass and she'll get right down to the end and she will leave that much down. I mean, you've got to have a molecular <laughs> microscope to be able to see the amount that is left in there. And so what does she do with the jar or the carton? Back in the fridge. Isn't that selfishness? It is. You see, so we can talk about generic things. What, 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 about, what about in the bedroom? Now, maybe this is more for the husbands here. I don't know. But taking our dirty socks off and leaving them, not leaving them on the floor. You see, we can be kind of funny about this to begin with, but after a while, after you've passed the first 12 or 15 ways in which I am selfish, because selfishness ultimately is sin, right? We have to start getting serious about how we're doing that. For example, we've, we've covered all the house, the, the rooms in the house. Now we start talking about our relationships, How am I selfish or being selfish with my spouse, with my kids, with the pets? You see, because there's a way to be selfish even with our pets. 
Maybe by not taking care of them the way that we should. You see, this is just practical applications on what I believe God expects from us because when we have no problems being selfish in our relationships or being selfish in the way that we handle ourselves in the various rooms of the house, guess what that means with our relationship with God? Being selfish with God. Because what are some ways... What are some ways that we can be selfish with God? God is the giver of life. God is the creator of all things. God expects us to have a relationship with him. So, how can we be selfish with God? Okay, time. Now, let's talk about this for just a moment. In our time, we can find no problem spending four or five hours a day on the TV or the internet, but struggle to spend a couple of minutes of time with God in prayer or Bible study or reading the word. These are all ways that we are pleasing ourselves. Remember, here's the two choices. Pleasing, two choices on the shelf. Pleasing God or pleasing self. That's it. Everything that you do from the time you wake up to the time you go to sleep at night, just two choices. You see, we tried to teach this to our boys as well, just like my parents tried to teach us. But when you go, for example, if you go into the bathroom and you come out and you don't bother to flush the toilet, that is and can be a form of selfishness. You see, every little thing we do, every little thing we say, uh, for example, and I used this not too many weeks ago, uh, but, but the girls, especially when they were little and even the boys did it, I mean, look, look at my foot, size 10. And so your little kid comes up and says, Daddy, where's my shoes? The selfish answer would be, I didn't wear them last. Because in their little minds, the only thing that their whole, their whole world is about to be destroyed, why? Because they can't find their shoes. We should be using that as a time to be able to instill the truth of God's word in them, helping them to be good stewards of what they have, helping them to learn the rules to put up their stuff where they found it. Not being sarcastic. And it's easy to be sarcastic at times. When we're talking about relationship or, or the time that we have with God, for example, uh, there are a lot of people and, and the only time they ever give to God is a Sunday morning between 11 and 12.15. They never read their Bible. That's another one, Bible time. Now there are all kinds of, there are all kinds of apps that you can get on your phone. You can even have the Bible read to you on a daily basis. And if it's too slow, you can increase the speed. I will show you how to do it. You can increase the speed and listen to it at 1.25 or 1.5 times or even two times speed. Samuel was telling me that he listens to some kind of a podcast and he gets through a bunch of podcasts. And I say, how do you do that? He says, well, number one, I spend a lot of time on the road. And number two, I put it up to two times speed. So this is like, <laughs> I can't do that. But we can't say that we get to the end of the week and we come on a Sunday morning when we are to be gathered in corporate worship together to serve and to love the Lord Jesus Christ if we haven't spent time preparing our own hearts for worship on a Sunday morning. You know, when, when Al starts teaching next Sunday morning, Lord willing, and he's teaching from Daniel, uh, I've given you enough warning and enough heads up and, and my recommendation to you would be to go, if you have never gone through the book of Daniel, go to Daniel chapter 1 and read the first chapter. That way you'll be prepared to hear what Al has to say from God's word. 
Anytime we have, for example, we normally, we have been going through the book of Revelation on a Sunday morning. You should, you may not know exactly the passage that we're going to be in, but everybody knows if you were here last Sunday, we're in Revelation chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. So this Sunday, we're probably going to start in verse 6. And you know what that does? Preparing by reading the word of God, lifting up our hearts and voices, it reminds us of things like, Lord, give Mark the ability to be able to share the word of God clearly today. Lord, help me as I go to church this morning that that you will keep any distractions from keeping my mind on the Lord Jesus Christ. Help me not to get in the car and for us to have a great big blow-up argument between my wife and I or between the kids or whatever it may be. Because when all of those things take place, guess what you're bringing into church when you get out of your car? Those problems... And if those problems are what is at the forefront of our mind and we stand up in the very first song and we've ra- we, we, have, we, have, we have prayed for or we're getting ready to pray for the two countries and we're getting ready to pray for the persecuted church and if that is what is on your mind, are you really in a mood to pray? What if I as the pastor or the Sunday school teacher stood up and said, okay, I'd like to call on so-and-so. Would you mind lifting up your, up your voice and praying for these particular items? How many of us would be ready and prepared to be able to do that? And then we stand up and the very first song is, Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. And we're looking across the congregation and somebody else is going, running. You see these, you see, do we understand why this topic of selfishness is so important? Keeping God first in every area of our life. Uh, what, about, what about prayer time? I mean, after all, we're going to be fellowshipping with God for all of eternity. What a wonderful truth that is. Shouldn't we be learning to start doing that now? I believe we should. We, we talk about Bible study. You know, we, we have... We have in our lives, it's easy to get involved and watch football games or baseball games or basketball games. How long do those normally last? About three or four hours. Three or four hours. Wow. And yet we can only get some people to spend time with God one hour a week. But we'll spend three hours at a baseball game or a football game or whatever it may be. And there's nothing wrong with those things. It could be anything. You could go out and want to spend four or five hours on a Saturday sitting in a fishing boat. My question is this. Number one, praise the Lord. Did you catch any fish? God was great. He was wonderful. He gave you provisions. You got more food in your freezer. But how much time did you actually focus while you were waiting for that fish to bite? How much time did you actually spend waiting on God and spending time with him? I've shared this with my son. He's driving the truck and he's going back and forth over the mountain. That's a lot of windshield time. How much time is he actually using to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ in your job? Moms, if, if you're at home or if you're a stay-at-home dad and the kids are laying down for a nap, is that the time that you use just to play games or is that a time that you use to actually spend some of that with God? Learning to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember hearing the illustration of a husband and a wife and they came in for counseling to see um, a pastor and uh, the, the pastor was asking them what was going on with the kids and they were struggling with the kids and, and there was a lot of selfishness within the home and he asked, he says, well, why don't you use the kitchen and have your kids getting in there and washing dishes? And their two kids were teenagers, teenagers. If your kids haven't learned to do chores by the time they're teenagers, it is way too late. Okay? That was free. Now, the wife looks at him and she says, Oh no, I could never let my kids in the kitchen. I'm the queen in the kitchen. And he said, Listen, do you realize... I'm going to write this down for you. You can write this down too if you want. Every room... In your house is a death chamber. 
What do you think that means? Namely this. Every room in your house should be an opportunity for you and every member in your family to learn how to die to self. So that when I'm going up to the fridge and I'm putting that last little bit of in the carton that wouldn't even fill up the bottom of a thimble and I'm putting that back in the fridge, am I really dying to self by doing that? Now, is there anything wrong with finishing the last little bit of juice? No. It's actually a deliberate act on my part if I put that back in the fridge because I know that somebody else is going to come after me. And instead of being gracious about it instead of putting a note on the fridge on the door that says hey we need more juice when we go to the store what i have done is i have taken the last little bit i put it back in there for somebody else again to have some kind of a devotional thought as to who in the world would put this back in the fridge well we weren't going to name any names but (laughs) death chambers dying to self I'm going to take this further to a spiritual level. When we come to church, do you come to church? And I want you to ask yourself, don't answer this out loud, but why do you come to church? Do you come to church because of what you're going to get out of it? Or do we come to church because of what we can give to others? How can we show to others within the congregation that we are dying to self? In other words, I may be having a bad week, I may be struggling with whatever it may be, but if I walk up to you and I ask you, hey, how are you doing, and I see you're struggling, whether you have tears in your eyes or I know that you've had a bad week, if I'm dying to self, how am I actually going to respond to you with compassion, with sympathy, with empathy? Listen, there are times when people come to church And they have just had a week that you can't possibly imagine. They don't want to hear your two cents all the time. Sometimes all they want to know is that they are loved. That's it. And by loving them, there are times that we just go and we put our arms around them. We say, listen, I don't know what you're going through, but the Lord Jesus Christ does. And for me to die to self means me putting aside my selfish ambitions and my desires for what pleases God. That's more important. You know, one of the things that that we have talked about, and there are a lot of churches that do this, and in the front of their bulletins or on the screens when it's portrayed on the wall is, please do what with your phones? Turn them off. Turn them off. Now, we all make mistakes. Sometimes we completely forget it's simply a reminder. You know, I've been in churches that people actually complained that they were actually asked to turn off their phone. That's selfishness. Because when there are distractions that are taking place within the congregation, what is that actually distracting you from? God. You know, with the ladies, we have talked about this with the ladies. There was a time when we had, for, for example, we would have dinner downstairs. And about 10 minutes before 12, you would have four or five or six or seven people. And they would all get up and make an, a bolt for the exit. And people are wondering, did Pastor Mark just offend them? Or, you know, do they all have to go to the bathroom at the same time? Or what's going on here? You know, those are distractions. We are wrapping up the message. We are seeking to make the final application. And if we get up and we are being a distraction in some way, what is that telling other people? Are we telling them that God is more important or having lunch five minutes early is more important? And I'm not trying to get on anybody because of what's happened in the past. I'm just saying that we we have a responsibility to say, Lord, how can I not be selfish today? How can I put myself to death? After all, if the servant is not greater than his master, what did we find with the Lord Jesus Christ? How did he respond? He put himself to death daily. He was willing to do the Father's will. You know, one of the things that I have really appreciated about Yellowstone Baptist Church down through the almost coming up on three years now that we first came to Yellowstone 
And one of the things that I really appreciate is I have rarely, rarely, rarely ever seen a visitor come into church where they have not been approached by five or six different people. My mom and dad can tell you, maybe you guys can tell, tell us as well. Uh, there are times you can go, we've been in churches where we walked in, sat there through Sunday school, sat there through the morning service, sat there during the, the break in between, and never had one person come up and say hi to us. Shame on that church. Shame on those people that they think so much of themselves, if you'll excuse me for saying so, but they think so much of themselves that instead, Hebrews chapter 13 tells us that there are times that we entertain angels unawares. I believe that there are times we may find when we get to heaven that we have found people who have walked into our congregation and we were, they were there for the purposes of seeing whether we were hospitable or not. Think about that. I mean, the Bible said the Lord Jesus Christ himself, himself said that the children suffer not the children to come unto me because, what? Their guardian angels protect them and stand before the throne. He told his disciples that. Is it not therefore important that the way that we respond to one another, we do so in Christian love and in unity? Listen, unity is not that I agree with every single thing you do and that you agree with me in every single thing. You know, there are probably not two people in this congregation on a Sunday morning. We normally have around 60 people that we average on a Sunday morning. And I guarantee you that there are not two people that are closer in their belief system than my dad and I. I'm talking about theologically. The way we act, the way that we respond, the way that whatever it may be. But yet my dad and I don't agree 100% on everything. Does that mean that I get upset, I get offended, I start calling him names like he's a bigot because he drinks tea and not coffee? <laughs> no. We respond in love, recognizing that there are differences between each one of us. Some of you don't drink coffee, brother... brother uh, Brother Doug, he drinks coffee, but he only drinks decaf. Is there something wrong with that? Yeah. Well, there is, because it's made with formaldehyde. We used to use that in the funeral home. <laughs> but I can still get along with him. I can still pray for him. I can still love him. I can still disagree in various areas, even maybe in some doctrinal positions, as long as they're not foundational truths. Now, if Doug comes in and he tells me, you know, I don't believe in the Trinity. We're not going to have any fellowship. If he comes in and he says, well, that's just a dusty old book and I don't really believe that that's God's word, we can't have fellowship according to the word of God. But just because Doug and I have a disagreement on how we should part our hair is not a reason for falling out. We're talking this afternoon in the, in the quarterly business meeting. And so far the Lord has blessed and we have been united in every decision that we have made as a church. But what if we get to this afternoon and we find that there is some disagreement? Do we still love one another? Or do we turn around and make issues out of things that really shouldn't be issues in the light of eternity. When we get to heaven, nobody's going to remember what color the chairs were. Nobody's going to remember what hymn book we used. Nobody's going to remember whether everybody was required to wear a tie on Sunday. Because those things aren't important. But what will be important is, have we lived like Jesus Christ? Has he changed our life? Have we sought to be selfish? I mean, we know that when we get to heaven, that, that sin will no longer be there. But again, read Revelation chapter 21. We mentioned that right at the very beginning. And mom read that. I'm going to read it again for us. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 27. But nothing unclean will enter into it, ever enter it, into it. He's talking about heaven nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So if a person lives their life in a way that they are selfish, if they live their life in a way that does not reflect the Lord Jesus Christ, what does Revelation chapter 21 say about the ability of them to be in heaven? 
You're right, Doug. Because the question is not whether we sin at all, whether we're ever selfish in some of these areas, but whether we continue to live in that sin. Whether we abide in it, whether we continually live in such a way that we reflect more of us than we do of God. Do you have something, Samuel? No, no. Okay, I I saw your... Oh, okay, okay. So how does this change our lives? If we are going to, whether you write this down or whether you start thinking of ways that are in your mind, if we are going to reflect the Lord Jesus Christ, that means that there are some ways that we are going to have to change. We're going to have to put off and put on. We're going to have to put off the old man, put on the new. We have, and I don't want to toot anybody's horn here, but one of the things that I appreciate, for example, about the men's breakfast By the time I get to the end of the week, Saturday is often very full for me. I'm still trying to finalize my messages, teaching, whatever it may be. And yet we have the men's breakfast. And I have never one time in the last two years had to go downstairs and spend my time cleaning up the kitchen after we're done. Because there are men who have taken on that responsibility. I can't tell you how I am thankful for that. I don't have to stay down here after the service or the men's prayer breakfast is done, I can go back up to my office and continue studying and preparing. I, I'm sure that there, there, there are times when the ladies go over to Sister Carol's on a Saturday and there are times at Sister Carol's house. I know for a fact that, that, I mean, Sister Carol has a lot of times when we've been over there has said, well, no, you don't have to do the dishes. You don't have to do that. That shows Christian love when we are willing to step in and do some of those things. When we look around and see that things need to be done. For example, if we're walking along and there's a piece of paper on the ground, we can all do what? Step over it. But if we're going to take care of God's house, or if we're going to take care of the place that God has entrusted to us and be a good steward... There are times that we have to see those things and not just the pastor, not just the deacons, but everybody can see, is there something that I can do to make this building look better? Do you realize that this is our calling card? When people walk in and they are, they are uh, visitors and they walk into the congregation or they walk in outside and they see what they see outside and then they walk in inside. I mean, isn't this a beautiful look? I mean, God has been so gracious. I mean, the thousands of dollars that were saved that, that we really didn't have or couldn't have afforded to do. And yet God has graciously given us a new lease on life as it were on this building. And people come in here and it's like, wow, this, is, this really is nice. But we would never have seen the building look the way that it is if everybody was living selfishly because it required people being willing to give of their time, of their talents, of preparing food, of whatever it may be so that these folks could be here for four or five weeks getting all of this work done. The last thing that we want is to walk around with defiled hands. But if we're walking around with defiled hands, it's because we have defilement in our hearts. So my encouragement to you this morning from Matthew chapter 15 is to remember it's not just a matter of washing our hands with physical soap and water. It's a matter of going to the word of God. Wherewithal, Psalm 119 verse 9, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to your word. If we are working on these areas, by the way, let me give you this illustration. Because we've had it in our home. I can remember hearing it from my mom and dad when I was growing up. Something starts... A sibling responds, and before you know, you just about come to fisticuffs. I mean, you're just going at it. And mom and dad holler out, what? Stop it. Stop it. Don't do that. And one of us would normally respond, but, but, but. 
He started it. She started it. And guess what? The next, this has probably never happened in any of your homes. It just was me. And the next words out of mom or dad's mouth were, I don't care care who started it, but I'm going to finish it. (laughs) Listen, these things that we've talked about here, I don't care who starts what in your home. Be different. Be the light. Be salt before a world, before your family, because you are called to show Jesus Christ regardless of what they say, regardless of what they think. Parents, if your kids don't obey you the first time, that doesn't mean that you can do something wrong in return. Two wrongs don't make it right. We need to change so that we can show our children how to change. We need to depend on the Lord Jesus Christ so that they can see and learn how to depend on Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter whether they're as little as this or whether they're older and grown. What's in your heart this morning? What is there? And we all, if we're going to be honest, we we all need to change in some way, in some area. But how do we do that? Do we wait for somebody else to start it? Or do we say, Lord, help me to change because my first relationship is to you. That will help us to learn not to be selfish. It will help us to put off the old man, put on the new, to become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll close with this verse, Romans chapter 12. Again, we have mentioned this so many times. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies what? Living sacrifice. Holy, set apart, acceptable, which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by your emotions. Be transformed by your feelings. Are your feelings going to let you down, Carl? Are your emotions ever going to let you down, Trenton or Sterling? Absolutely. So we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. It doesn't matter what you feel. It matters what you do with what God has given you. And that's taking time to think through your actions, to think through your words, and then then change. Any questions? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, again for the day. May you be glorified in the next service. In Jesus' name, amen.